All right, in this episode, we are going to cover the events of Easter week on Friday. That's the crucifixion. And I'm going to give you two keys that will give you a much richer understanding of what's happening here. Here we go. All right, so let's set the stage here for where we are on Friday. It's important to understand that Friday for the Jews began on Thursday evening. So the Last Supper and all that happened in Gethsemane and Judas's betrayal are all part of this same day. I'll get to a, a, in a moment why that's important, but this is all on Friday, really. So here Jesus has been betray betrayed into the hands of the high priests and the elders and basically the Jews, which are the establishment, which are the people that are in power. And he is taken to the high priests and basically asked specific questions. What they're trying to do here is to cross him so that he will be a part of these crucifixions that are going to be happening here on Friday morning. And so they don't have much time. They want to push this through as fast as they can. So there is the high priest Annas, who is the father-in-law of the current high priest Caiaphas. And Annas, apparently he goes to first. And this is a very, very powerful man. All five of his sons and Caiaphas, his son-in-law, have all been high priests. And that has never happened before. So he likes to keep everything within the family. Very, very powerful man. But I want to go back to this, these questions here so that we set the stage for the crucifixion here because this is really important. This distinction of what questions they are asking him clarifies an awful lot and is a very important part of a thread of theology that passes through all of the scriptures. So here's what happens here. Now in Mark, we go back to Mark, and he talks about the high priest. We don't know for sure if this is Annas or Caiaphas, but he's with the high priest. Or these are some of the false witnesses that come forward. They say, we heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands. And within three days, I will build another man, another made without hands. Now we typically think of that as, okay, this is about his resurrection. On the third day, he'll come back and his body uh, is a temple and will be uh, risen on the third day. And that's all true. But it's important to understand that for the Jews, they believed that the Messiah would do exactly that. That the Messiah would build the new temple and lead the Jewish nation into freedom and into greatness and, and build the new kingdom for them. And the temple would be the center of that. And so they understood this as whoever is going to be doing this, this is a messianic prophecy that would be fulfilled. So Jesus is saying when he, when he said that, he is fulfilling a prophecy that the Jews all agree with in their theology. They all agree that that is what the Messiah is going to do. And that is a sign of the Messiah. Now this has been brought up previously in Jerusalem, in the temple. And the Jews did not have a problem with this. 
I mean, if they did, it wasn't a problem worthy of death when Jesus basically was saying, I am the Messiah. That wasn't the issue. That's never the issue. Here's the issue. And this is what condemns him to death. After they ask him these questions and they can't cross him on anything, Jesus doesn't answer the question on this because he knows, I, this is my perception, he knows that it doesn't matter if he says that he's the Messiah. That's not what the issue is. He wants to proclaim something much larger that they have lost in their theology. And so when Jesus says nothing to this, what the high priest says, follows up with is, art thou the Christ, that's the Messiah, art thou the Christ, the Son of the Blessed or of God? Art thou the Christ, comma, the Son of God? This is a very important distinction because this is not what they believed of the Messiah, that he was the Son of God, that this was Jehovah that would come down, condescend below all men, and be born of a woman and take on the sins of the world. That did not exist, at least not in mainstream Judaism with the Jews here at this time. And in fact, today, that doesn't exist. If, if you're not real familiar with it, the Jews today do not believe that they're still the Messiah is still going to come, and that Messiah is the same thing we think of with Jesus Christ. It's not the same thing. The Messiah that the Jews are waiting for right now is someone that is a Davidic king. That's the same. A Davidic king that will come, rebuild the temple, and lead the nation in, the, in a, new, a new Jewish kingdom. Okay? In... in basically. But he's not Jehovah, right? He's not the son of God brought in to flesh and becoming one of us and becoming mortal in a sense. That is a problem for them. That is blasphemy. And so the high priest, this is where he's going to cross him. And this is where Jesus does speak up. That's what he wants to proclaim, that he is not just what they think of as the Messiah, but he is the son of God. He is Jehovah. He is divine. Okay, That's a very important distinction. And by the way, that is the whole, remember that Abinadi goes on trial with King Noah and with all of the priests. It's the exact, exact same scenario. And he comes in and he's preaching about something specific. And this is where I would disagree with, uh, what would we call it, mainstream LDS scholarship. Abinadi was not accused of, uh, he was not accused of calling out King Noah and the, high, and, the, and the priests for being unrighteous. I mean, he did, but that's not what put him to death. That's not what condemned him to death. It's not because he said that they were not the righteous branch, kind of a kind of this righteous nationalism, which I've seen written about, that they were the chosen people and they could not do wrong kind of idea. That wasn't the issue. Abinadi, Abinadi was put to death and condemned specifically because of blasphemy, because he said that the Son of God would descend 
condescend below all men, be born in flesh of a woman, and take upon him the sins of the world. And everything in their Mosaic law that they weren't following anyway, looked forward to this event, to his birth, to his life, and to his sacrifice. And that is what got him killed. And in fact, he says in, uh, in Mosiah, he says, he goes in and he makes this distinction. And he tells us exactly what the Son of God means, what that title means. He says that he's the Father because, of, because uh, everyone who is a believer in him becomes his seed. Right? And that, that's a reference to Isaiah. But that he is also the Son of God. And why is he the Son? Because he will come down to earth and take upon him a body and then go through life and take on the sins of the world and, and make the atonement, the, the, the atoning sacrifice. That's what the Son of God means. And that's what's happening here, is that he is proclaiming, I am the Son of God. In other words, I came down, took on this flesh, and I, and I, and he has already now, atoned, in a sense, spiritually at least, for the sins of the world. Blasphemy. That's what gets Jesus killed here. So a clarification of what they mean by the Messiah is different from what we think of as the Messiah, right? He's put to death because he says he is the son of God and is divine. So same as Abinadi, exact same thing happening in that trial. All right, so Jesus' response specifically here to the high priest, when he asks if he is the son of the blessed or the son of God, he says, I am. That is ego eimi, right? Which is the name. That is, I am that I am. So right there, he is saying, I am Jehovah. Right? Just like what Jehovah said to Moses, what, what his name was. I am that I am. Ego eimi. That is what is being said here. I am the son of God and I am Jehovah, I am your God, and I have descended into flesh and will make the atoning sacrifice. And it's only then, when he claims this, that the high priest rents his clothes and says, what need we any further witnesses? So it's not when he says he's the Messiah, it's not for anything else, it's when he says that he's Jehovah and is the Son of God. Very important distinction. In the Jewish Mishnah, it says exactly that. If someone, if there, if someone is to use the name, that the high priests are to rent their clothes, and that it is a sin worthy of death, and that's exactly what has happened here in Mark. And in order to condemn a high priest, which Jesus is in a sense, he's proclaiming to be a high priest here. In order to proclaim to to condemn a high priest or a false prophet, you have to have the full Sanhedrin, make that call, make that judgment. And so Jesus is, you know, mocked, he's spit upon, uh, and then he's brought to the Sanhedrin, all 71 members. It's very similar to what we might think of as the 70 today. All 71 members of the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem. Uh, there would be other Sanhedrins in other areas, but this is the Jerusalem Sanhedrin, the chief Sanhedrin, if you will, they condemn Jesus then to death. And even though they say that they can't actually kill someone, 
they can and they do sometimes. They have to have, in this case, for whatever reason, the approval of the Romans. But remember that they had picked up stones to kill the adulteress. Where Jesus says, hold back, which one of you is innocent and has not sinned? Right? So they were, they were ready to stone her. And by the way, that is still, that is written in the bylaws, the scriptural bylaws of the church today, about the 70, and the head of the church and the high priests. There is a check and balances system that is in place. It's kind of interesting. So then the Jews take him to Pontius Pilate to be judged. And Pontius Pilate has to come out to them because they can't come into the judgment hall because it's Passover. And they, he comes out to them and says, what is the accusation against him? And they say, if he was not, this is in John, if he were not a malefactor, we would not have delivered him up unto thee. Then said Pilate unto them, take ye him and judge him according to your law. Right? So this is not something what he is claiming here. Uh, what Pilate is saying is, is he's not broken anything that is Roman law here. If he's saying that he is uh, uh, um, the Messiah or whatever, whatever he has cross-examined Jesus with, there is nothing that is going to condemn him to death with Pilate. And so he's telling the Jews to take him. And the Jews say here, this is where they say, it is not lawful for us to put any man to death. And maybe what they're really trying to do here, and maybe there is a reason they couldn't in this instance, but maybe what they're really trying to do here is put it onto the Romans so that this can get done. Again, this crucifixion is happening here today. And if they can get him in there and get this done now, they can get rid of him. Whereas if they take him, if the Jews take him and try him uh, and, and try and condemn him to death, then you know the, there might be an uprising of the people. Remember, this is during Passover, so he has a lot of disciples, a lot of followers and believers that are there at, at Jerusalem. And so Pilate then cross-examines him again, and he says, are you a king? Are you the king of the Jews? And basically, eventually, Jesus says, you say that I am. In other words, yes, I'm the king of the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. If it were of this world, then my servants would fight to deliver me. But since it's not of this world, then his servants are not going to fight to deliver him. In other words, the kingdom of the Jews here is of the world. It is not of heaven. He is completely uh, accusing the Jews here of being not of heaven. That this is the kingdom of men, even though... They are the priesthood bearers, although some of them may not be, uh, even though they are the ones running the temple. He's saying that my kingdom is of heaven, and this is not my kingdom. And then Pilate finds out that Jesus is, from the Jews, that Jesus is saying that he is the Son of God. This changes everything for Pilate. Pilate actually has a concern about this. He's actually a little fearful of it. He has some respect for this, and he asks Jesus, where do you come from? Because he's worried if there is some divinity in this man, and Pilate is responsible for this, and he puts him to death, that that's something that could come back on him. And of course, the Jews are saying, okay, he says he's the Son of God, but he's not, even though that's what they're going to put him to death for. 
And so Pilate, with more concern and hesitation, decides that he is going to go ahead and follow through with this. And he asks the Jews, saying, look, your cu it's custom during Passover. So again, this is something that happens often. We think about the crucifixion as this one thing that is specifically just for Jesus. It's not. Remember, there's going to be two other men that are already set to be crucified. Uh, actually, three other men that are already going to be set to be crucified that we know of. And that this is a custom. So this is something that happens often with the Romans, that the Jews would ask for one of the individuals that are going to be crucified to be set free. And the Romans would grant that. So part of this is custom, tradition, and ritual. And this is the second key to understanding what is happening here this day. We have talked all this week about how the Feast of Tabernacles and the customs and rituals of that feast, and especially of the Day of Atonement that happens during the Feast of Tabernacles, are happening throughout the entire week, even though it is Passover. And this is a very important thing in understanding what is happening here, because as Jesus goes through these scenarios, he is going through the traditions, customs, and the rituals that happen during Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, and the Fall Festival. And this is exactly what happens here. Remember we talked about this being one day, from Thursday evening until Friday evening. This is one day, and it's a Friday. We know from the Qumran texts, that's the Essenes that are uh, the ones that had the Dead Sea Scrolls that were out in the desert. We know that they always celebrated the Day of Atonement on a Friday. So this is a Day of Atonement. It would always be a Friday. And from Thursday evening to Friday evening is Friday for the Jews. So let's go through what that Day of Atonement ritual is because this means everything. On the Day of Atonement, the high priest in a certain vestiture would go to the altar and they would sacrifice a bull and he would take the blood of the bull and he would cleanse the temple with it. And we talked previously about Jesus cleansing the temple and how he's the high priest and that was something that was a day of atonement event. After sacrificing the bull, they would take two goats and the goats had to be completely similar in weight, in appearance, in value. And here's how they would work this. They would take one goat and the high priest would put his hands on the head of that goat and by proxy would, would absolve the sins, it would remove the sins and purify that goat completely so that it was spot free. And then would put his hands on the other goat and would basically place all of the sins over onto the other goat. So you've heard the term scapegoat. Well, we're going to go over that right now. That's where this, this is where this comes from. And so they would take the one that is now pure because you had to have a pure, unblemished, sacrificial animal, right? 
and they would sacrifice that animal. They would kill the animal, cut the throat, and that would be the sacrifice for the Day of Atonement. And they would take the blood then, the high priest would take the blood and put it on the altar, cleanse the altar, would pour out. We talk about pouring out a spirit or, or pouring out the blood, or you think about Jesus in Gethsemane the night before here, when his, he's soaked in blood. This is the blood of the goat, perhaps the blood of the bull also. And then the blood would also be taken and, and splattered throughout the temple and even in the Holy of Holies and on the Ark of the Covenant in the throne of God to cleanse the temple and then cleanse the land, purify the land and even on the people and cleanse the people and renew a covenant with everybody being purified and cleansed. The other goat would be released out into the wilderness. And eventually over time, what they would do with the goat, because that goat may have come back. That's a problem, having the goat come back into uh, Jerusalem a couple days later that has all the sins and they have to discharge that goat and get it out of town. They would take that goat out of the city and actually run it off of a cliff. And they would also take some wool and the wool they would start off with would be scarlet. And then when they were done, they would have white wool. And so you think of the phrase in Isaiah where your sins are as scarlet, but they can be white as wool is where that would be attached to. A lot of the phrases, a lot of the scriptures, if you know the rituals, especially in the temple, the temple imagery and the temple drama, you'll understand more what is being said and what they are referring to. It, it is ritual, and ritual is incredibly important. The fulfillment of what is happening here with Christ, whether it's looking at the, the Seder meal, whether it's looking at the Gethsemane, looking at the crucifixion, this is all the fulfillment of ritual. So when a prophet may prophesy about something, they may actually be using the rituals to tell what is going to happen. And how that is how, how something is going to be fulfilled. Certainly that's the case with the Savior and, and with his atonement. So the high priest would change their clothes and when they, they would actually go into white linen when they would go into that Holy of Holies and, and cleanse it out. It's important to remember, right? He's wearing white linen to go into the Holy of Holies. And by the way, he's changing clothes as he goes along and gets further and further into the temple to the Holy of Holies. So let's follow through now back to Pontius Pilate. So Pontius Pilate asks if they, if the Jews would want to release Jesus because he sees nothing wrong with him and he's a little afraid of actually condemning Jesus here because of the chance that there's some divinity there with Jesus. And the Jews say, no, of course, crucify him, crucify him. And they say, no, don't let him go we want Barabbas to go. So they, they choose to crucify Christ. So then they take him back. Pilate scourges him, whips him. They put on a thorny crown on him. And again, the whole theme of all of this from the very beginning on Palm Sunday is about him being a king. That's important to understand that he is the Davidic king, the Messiah. And so 
all of this theme is something that would be happening during the Feast of Tabernacles and during the Day of Atonement where he would go into the Holy of Holies and be crowned as the Davidic King, as the Messiah, but also as the King of Kings, as Jehovah. And here he is by a worldly kingdom being enthroned and dressed up and mocked in a purple uh, uh, robe with a thorny crown. And Pilate actually sits him down on the judgment seat, on his judgment seat, so that, and then everyone yells out, judge us, judge us, and they're mocking him that he is the king of the Jews. And so here you have this tragic irony of this man being mocked as the king, and yet he is more than just a king, obviously. And they are going to let Barabbas go, the son of the father, go. Here you have then, looking at this, the Day of Atonement, the ritual that would foretell, they would do this every year, and this would be foretelling exactly what is going to happen here, where you have the pure goat, right? No sin is going to be the one that is sacrificed for all of the people. And then you have the goat that has all of the sins. All of the sins is going to be the one that is let go and actually sent out of the city. I'm sure that Barabbas was sent out of the city not to return. This is exactly the Day of Atonement ritual that is happening. And we see this in other examples as well. For example, when Christ says that, when, when Jehovah says that he will be provided as a sacrificial lamb to Adam and Eve. It's when Adam and Eve, at that point, they've now been exposed to sin. They are actually cast out of the Garden of Eden at that point, right? So it's the same idea. This is kind of how covenant works in the pre-existence, in the war in heaven. When, when finally there's a savior that stands up and says, I will be the savior. I will be the pure goat then there are others who deny him and are not willing to go along with it. And that third of the host of heaven are cast out at that point. That's what happens here with the crucifixion and with Jesus and Barabbas. Another important point here is that the Jews say that you, Pilate, you may not find an issue here with him, but we have our own law. And with our law, we condemn him to death basically. What is their law? Their law is the lower law. So it is the lower law that kills the representation of the higher law. That's how we get it. The lower law kills the icon, the crux of, no pun intended, the crux of the higher law. And just as Paul says in one of the Corinthian, books of Corinthians, he says, the letter of the law killeth, right? Because it, it killed Christ. The Jews here represent the lower law, and Christ is bringing in, without them realizing it, the higher law, and it's done exactly through the consequences of the lower law. And Pilate is really stuck on this king thing. Again, he's worried. So he says, behold your king. 
And he's like, should you, should I crucify your king? And they say, yes, crucify him. He's not a king to us. Our king is Caesar, basically. And so Jesus bears his cross, carries his cross, has some help from another man, but he carries a cross out to Golgotha. And this is outside of the city where there would be a pathway for all people coming in and out of Jerusalem, very crowded at this time, would see him and the other two men up being crucified. And they're there in that spot to be shamed in front of everybody and all the passers-by. And the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all have him being crucified at 9 a.m. and then being taken off the cross at 3 o'clock. So he's up there for six hours. The timing of what goes on in Jerusalem at this time is changed. Since Passover that year fell on a Friday, on the eve also of the Sabbath, being Saturday, then they move everything up during that day. And so, for example, they had an offering that they would make, a sacrificial offering that they would make in the temple. They moved that up to 12.30 p.m. And then the killing of all of the lambs. I mean, you can imagine all the people and all of the lambs that are being killed for the sacrificial feast. That would have happened at 2 o'clock. And so as all of the lambs are being killed... Here is the sacrificial lamb, the pure goat from the Day of Atonement, also being killed. This is the suffering servant from the fourth servant song in Isaiah, who would be whipped, who would be mocked, who would suffer, and who would die and atone for the sins of the world. And so Pilate makes a sign that goes up above the cross that says, Jesus of Nazareth. That might actually not be right. It might be something else. But uh, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And Jesus goes through the incredible, incredible suffering, physical suffering of a crucifixion where his feet are nailed to the cross, his hands are nailed to the cross, and his wrists are nailed to the cross. And slowly but surely, all of his internal organs start to collapse and break apart and to bleed. And as his family, the women that are there at the cross, which by the way is an important thing to understand, there's three or four different women that are listed in John that are at the cross. As we said before, just, about, just like the anointing, the women would be there on this step of Jesus's mortal life, his step moving beyond, making the step out of mortality. The women definitely would be represented there. But all those, all the disciples that are there with Jesus at the cross, and they would have been, would be hearing the shofars, that's the horns being blown for the Passover that represented Israel being freed from the Egyptians. Or in other words, as we've spoken of previously this week, with understanding what the Passover really means, is that the firstborn, the blood of the lamb, literally here now, from the night before in Gethsemane to the cross here now, the sacrificial lamb, the Passover lamb, is freeing all mankind from sin, just as Israel was freed 
from Egypt. Incredibly ironic and, and fulfills all of this ritual and tradition that the Israelites have had but have lost over the centuries. And when they had taken Jesus to be crucified, the soldiers, were told, had his garment. And the garment is described as being one that is not that has no seam in it. And this would be a high priestly robe. That's what this is. The vestitures of the high priest are described in several different places. And this is what the high priest robe would be. And then Jesus, while he is up on the cross, looks down to his mother and to John, the beloved, and says, John, behold thy mother, and woman, behold thy son. So he's giving the care of his mother here over to John. And then as he gets to the end of the suffering on the cross, and he is close to being done, he says, I thirst. And they gave him on hyssop gall and vinegar. And this also is another representation of the Day of Atonement. Because on the Day of Atonement, the priests only would take the inwards, inward parts of the goat raw, but with vinegar to clean it. And they would consume that because on being the Day of Atonement was on a Friday. At that point later in the day, they would not be able to cook it because the Sabbath was right there. And so they would take the inward parts, which would be a representation of the gall, which is like bile, and the vinegar that is given to him. And he takes that, and that being, again, the representation of the sacrifice on the Day of Atonement, on Yom Kippur. And then finally, on this entire Day of Atonement, from the Last Supper, which represented him, to Gethsemane and the blood that was spilt there and the suffering that he had there, to the betrayal and the trial and then the crucifixion, the entire day of atonement, Jesus finally says, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up the ghost. And so with Jesus, He's already dead, and so they, one of the soldiers takes a spear and pierces his side. This is what is mentioned in John. And out comes blood, and out comes water. In the other Gospels, what is mentioned is that when he dies, the veil rents in the temple. I think this is the same symbolism that you would have here. The veil is our bodies. The veil is physical material. And so for John, he shows the veil being pierced with the spear. And elsewhere, the Gospels show the temple veil being rent. And then in a rush, then, Joseph of Arimathea, who is a, high, a person of high status, he, gets to, he goes to Pilate and asks for the body of Jesus. And he has a tomb in a garden that he can take him to. And Nicodemus, another man of high status in Jerusalem. So you can see that Jesus had a number of followers that were in positions of power, but they had to be in secret or they would have been cast out or worse. And Nicodemus comes and he brings spices for the burial. And these spices, including the myrrh, weighed about 100 pounds. So there's a lot 
that is buried with him. That These spices and that much of spice is indicative of a royal burial. And so they took Jesus's body and that hundred pounds of spices and they wrapped him up in white linen. Think of the Seder meal. Think of the high priest in the Holy of Holies. And they laid him in the sepulcher, which was very close to the place of Golgotha in the garden, because they, they were in a hurry, and buried him, just as the Afikoman is buried, and just as the, the high priest on the Day of Atonement would go through the veil and into the Holy of Holies. The sepulchre represents the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement. I hope that those two keys of understanding the clarity between being the Messiah of the Jews and actually proclaiming to be the Son of God, and secondly, understanding the ritual of the Day of Atonement helps richen your understanding of this week and of the atonement of the Savior. I'll talk to you next time.